0: So we've been in a, a sermon series called uh, "Unafraid." Have you guys enjoyed the sermon series? Uh, the folks that have been here, I, I've enjoyed it very much because we we all have things that 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 make us afraid. We all have things that actually hold us back. I love that song, um, uh, "No Longer Slave," uh, because. It really speaks to what Jesus does for us, which is Jesus sets us free from being slaves to fear, and suddenly um, we're transformed. And our life is not oriented or driven by fear but by love, which is one of the uh, amazing exchanges that happens through the power of Jesus Christ. Now, we talked a little bit about, in our first week, about fear of failure, which is a very real thing. We also talked about fear of our circumstances, and believe it or not, we, we did not plan this. The Holy Spirit sometimes orchestrates our steps much better than we could personally because um, we, we had changed our sermon series, and uh, about a week and a half ago, um, uh, Pastor Terry, our senior pastor, uh, said, said to me, I, I think I want to change it, we, we should do fear of the other, um, fear of the other, and, and uh, I said, okay, well, interesting uh, topic, and then Charlottesville happened, and I, I uh, you know, I, I have a CNN app on my phone, and I, I was opening it up and saw um, hundreds of, of torches in the night in Charlottesville, and I, I had no idea what was happening. It was a white supremacist march. Um, and I was shocked. I was shocked uh, in, in 2017 in, in our nation uh, that, that we could see something like that. And then, of course, the events of the following day where there was protests and counter-protests and, and uh, uh, a young woman uh, lost her life. And uh, it's, it's ignited this this moral crisis in our country right now um i remember uh, when 9-11 happened um a lot of times these things ignite us and and get us angry and we start looking for someone to blame and i remember when 9-11 happened i was in a world religions class and um, our world religions teacher was tr- tr- imploring us to not blame all of Islam for 9-11, um, at, as was our president at the time. He, he, was, he was saying that this is not the whole religion. Um, and, and I remember a student in my class yelling at the teacher, well, then why are all the moderate Muslims not standing up and saying that this is terrible? Why are they not standing up? And, and, you know, like everybody else, I was angry and I was looking for someone to blame. And I said, yeah, yeah, why? Why are they not standing up and, and saying that this is, this is a disgrace? Why are they not stand, standing up and saying this is a shame? And because of that, I, I, I thought, you know, some, sometimes uh, it's hard to know what to say. And sometimes it's good to be silent. And sometimes... Silence can really hurt people. And I think that the church, we, the church, need to voice the fact that what we saw was racism and what we saw was evil. Um, I said this last week um, that I used to think that racism was a thing that our grandparents dealt with. Um, One time I was at a... uh, retirement home visiting uh, a family member, and I st- struck up a conversation with a, with a guy, and it, he, was, he was really funny. He had a lot of funny stories, and he, he had worked at um, Anheuser-Busch Brewery, and he would tell me really funny stories about working there, and uh, he started telling me that um, they used to drink on the job at Anheuser-Busch. Did you know that? They could drink as much beer on the job as they would just have cases of beers. And he was telling me this. I was, was, you know, jaw drop. I thought that's crazy. And he said, yeah, we would drink as much as we want until one guy drank too much and crashed the forklift one too many times. I thought, isn't one one too many times? And so he was cracking me up and and telling me all these really hilarious stories. But then it kind of took a dark turn. Um, he he started telling me about how once uh, an African-American guy uh, started working there. Uh, This older gentleman did not uh, use proper uh, names for folks, and so he didn't use that term even. Uh, But he told me about an African-American gentleman who started working there, and he said, and this guy was so uppity that he came in wearing a $100 suit for his first day because he thought he was better than us. And so my eyes are kind of widening. I, why is he telling me this? He, now get this. He thinks that this is still a funny story. And he said, um, so what we did was on his first day, in his uppity suit, we made him go into a cauldron so that it would, and it was, it was a really filthy cauldron. He had to clean it on his first day. So we ruined his suit. And he thought that that was a funny joke. And what, what struck me at that moment was, I, I thought, thank God that, our, that we're not in those days anymore. Thank God we don't live in that kind of nation where that's just how you treat people that are different than you. And uh, and then I, I turn on the TV on Friday night and, and I see torches in a major American city. And I want to make... One thing clear, that, that I do not think that racism is a political thing. I don't think race is a political problem. And, and they, some, some people who, who maybe are white supremacists may say that they have a political aim, but I don't believe that. I think that it's a moral problem. It is a sin. And I think the church needs to call it out as a sin. When I see the eyes of the people in that in that. Um, in that uh, who were holding torches in that parade, uh, some people said, I see hatred. But more than anything, what I think I saw was fear. I, I saw people that were afraid. People that were afraid of, of the other. And the other could mean a lot of different things. For them, it might be um, people with a different skin color or uh, Jewish people. But I saw fear of the other. Now, our nation is not new to fear of the other, um, when, we, when our country was going through the Great Depression, uh, President Roosevelt knew that we were uh, afraid as a country. And in fact, he was finding that they, we couldn't pull ourselves out of the depression because um, it, it was causing people were just so filled with fear. And he sought to allay those fears. And what he did was uh, he gave a great speech. And do you remember what he said? He said, um, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Now, is that true? It's one of those, it's one of those quotes that, that on its, it's very quotable, but I mean, there are things to fear, right? There, There are some things that we can fear, but what he was saying was that fear can be a crippling thing and it can bring out our worst. It can bring out the worst in people. And so what we really need to fear is fear itself. And and it really was like a healing balm on the country when he said that. Um, Just a couple years later, when our country was attacked in Pearl Harbor, the same president uh, who said there's nothing to fear but fear itself um, ordered the internment of of Japanese Americans to be put in camps. Uh, Again, we saw that fear became an engine for Something really ugly, right? Now, in the time of Jesus, when when Jesus was walking this earth, they were in an oppressive environment. Okay, they were they were. We we talk now now about systems of injustice and systems of um, oppression. Uh, Jesus was definitely living in a system of oppression and injustice because. Uh, All of uh, Israel was under control of Rome, okay? They were an occupying government. Now, when Jesus came to the earth and he said, I come to bring the kingdom of God, he was hanging out with a bunch of disciples, and guess what they were? Some of them were political radicals. And what they were hoping that Jesus would bring is a political solution. They really wanted Jesus to, to bring a political solution, and some of them didn't get even to the end of his life that he wasn't talking about politics, Jesus said this, I'm not coming to bring you politics. I'm coming to bring you salvation, okay? And so I don't think when we talk about racism, what's going to solve and heal this bomb, uh, what's going to solve and heal this problem in our nation, this moral failure, I think we need salvation. We need salvation. Um, the example that Jesus' life teaches us is this, and, and I hope that if you can take anything away from today, you can remember this phrase: that the value of your life is determined by how much of it you give away. i'll say that again: The value of your life is determined by how much of it you give away. i'm going to read from uh, First John chapter four. Um, This is starting in verse 17, and and this is going to be kind of our guiding light through the sermon. This is how love is made complete among us, so that you will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made in perfect love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now that's sometimes hard, isn't it? Because... What does that mean? Who is your brother and sister that you're supposed to love? Um, I want to read this in light of another scripture. Um, I I think it's fascinating. Jesus kind of turned the whole uh, morality of the world upside down when he was on this earth because he taught something that nobody had ever taught before. Uh, At at the time... uh, He lived in what I call a might-makes-right culture. So whoever was the mightiest and had the most strength, they were the people who ran everything, controlled everything. What Jesus came to the earth and said was not just love your family, not just love the people around you. He even said, love your enemies, which sounded crazy to everybody back then. Love your enemies. I, I think it's hard for us now to even know how revolutionary an idea that was. I want to read this um, out of Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I want you to catch that because I think it's really key. Christ died for the really nice people. Did Christ die for the Christians? Did Christ die for the people who have it all figured out? Or at least they're trying He died for the ungodly. And listen to this. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love, his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies... Listen, if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We're talking about fear of others. Did you know that one time you were the other to God? One time you were the other to God. That kind of reframes it, doesn't it? Christ died for the other. how does that mean you're supposed to live? You remember that phrase I said earlier? The value of your life is determined by how much of it you give away. Have you ever wondered why a nice guy like Jesus would get crucified? He seems so friendly in all the pictures, doesn't he? Well, I believe that this scripture illuminates the fact that Jesus was crucified because he died for the wrong people. See, the religious leaders at the time thought they were looking for a Messiah. They did believe a Messiah was coming. But surely the Messiah would be coming for the religious ones. Surely the Messiah would be coming for the nice people. What is scandalous about Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. He died for all the wrong people, the people you don't want to see saved. That's who Jesus died for. Jesus died for hundreds of people who were holding torches last Friday night. That's hard to hear. That's hard to hear, isn't it? but that while we were Jesus' enemies, he died for us. So we need to understand that the value of our life is determined by how much of our life we give away. Now, I find, um, I, I find this, that, that if I'm struggling in my relationship with God, um, I find the answers of the gospel very unsatisfying. So sometimes I just, when I say justice, I just want to see people pay. Anybody feel like that? When I when I say justice and and, and I see people who have done horrible things, I just want them to pay for it. But what if what if that had been God's opinion of me? and so I find this certain dichotomy in my own mind where I feel like the church needs to stand very strongly against the kind of racism that we saw in Charlottesville last week and we need to call it out for what it is we need to tell our children what it is we need to proclaim that that is not Christianity we need to proclaim that that is not what we stand for and we stand firmly against it And at the same time, we need to understand that we've all got others in our lives, don't we? We have got people that we fear in our own lives. And maybe some of us, it's the people we saw on TV last week marching, and and we fear them. But, But it's so important for us to know that the value of our life does not come from being part of a political protest. It doesn't come from our careers. It doesn't come from anything except how much of our lives lives that we give away. And so, it's our call, and it's a dangerous call. Who's ready for some danger? It's a dangerous thing to be a follower of Jesus, because guess what? You're called to love the other. Um, when uh, the the early church was around in the time uh, just after Jesus passed, uh, an interesting thing happened. Uh, the, the church was, was young. The church was not very large. They, they were called The Way, and uh, they weren't called Christians quite yet. But they were following Jesus and trying to live out the Jesus kind of life. Now, one thing that's interesting was uh, a, a plague came upon a, a large portion of um, the Roman Empire, and people would, would would throw dead bodies outside. In fact, they would even throw dying people outside into the streets. People didn't want to have anything near them. They would abandon family members. They would abandon these people. And guess what the Christians of that, that day and age did? Now, by the way, the Christians were, high, were heavily persecuted as well. It was not popular to be a Christian. Uh, they didn't have a lot of friends. But what the Christians did was they would go to... These people that were left out to die, they would take them in their homes, this small group of, of people called the Way, and they would care for them. These people who were outcasts would care for the other outcasts, and they would be brave, and they would love the other in this way. By about 400 A.D., Christians, uh, St. Benedict, started one of the first hospitals See, the Christians were not afraid of the other. In fact, they gave up their lives sometimes for the other. This was one of the things that helped establish the early church was that people said, what kind of love is this? That you wouldn't just give up your life for your family. In fact, some of these people's families were throwing them out. But you would even risk death, risk your own health for the other. I mean, isn't that amazing, love? Love. I mean, isn't that the kind of love that the church needs to stand up in this day and hour to be, to love the other? I'm gonna invite our band back up to the stage and uh, we're gonna sing the, uh, just the chorus of that song again, um, No Longer Slaves. And, and I wanna just pray this for all of us because it's challenging to try to live in love in such a divisive time but that's where life is so if you would just pray with me and we'll we'll ask for the spirit of God to rise up on the inside of us so that we can be a people whose lives are determined our value is determined by how much of our lives we give away so pray with me now Lord God, we want to love like you love. We want to give up our lives for your kind of love. Help us to walk this out, God. Show us what this looks like to have your kind of love in this day and this hour. Show us how we can stand firm but live lives of mercy and peace. Don't let us be enslaved to the fears of those around us, God.